Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> um, it's good to see everybody this morning. We had a, had a pretty amazing week. Myself, Connie and I were in South Carolina yesterday at a memorial service for a friend of ours that we knew when we were serving overseas. Uh, she was in some ways like a, a mother to those of us who went and we were single. Uh, even her name, we called her Mama Ray. Uh, and uh, just to think of her life. And she grew up in Jacksonville, but years ago, God took her to Africa and then led her to Washington, D.C. to work with ambassadors and just, just to celebrate her life and to see how there were people from all over the world and all over the United States came to celebrate her life and just to see that, you know, a life lived for the Lord, how that it just brings glory to him. And then... I don't know if you've been following, I hope you have, the, the story of Micah Caldwell and what God's doing in their lives and how just to see him earlier in the week when he was just had the surgery and he just was not responsive and then get a picture yesterday of him just lighting up the whole hospital. And just to see, you know, that was just exciting to see and the, the journey with them as they've gone through that. So it's just, it's been a, it's been a good week to see God work in, uh, in, in different ways. This morning, we're going to continue with our series, Rooted, uh, as we've started and we'll continue for the next uh, couple years, just thinking about Rooted in Christ. Um, and, you know, as I've been thinking about the term Rooted, I, I have a degree in agriculture, and when you study agriculture, you study roots of plants. And I was just looking up, you know, what are some of the deepest root systems of the plants? And for those of you who have been able to travel to California and see the sequoias and the redwoods, those are some of the deepest roots that go down. They have to be deep to support those trees. They're huge. I mean, some of those trees are 270-something feet tall. That's like 20-something stories of a building. And so, but you know, thinking about the roots of a tree, if the roots are not good, if they're, if they're sickened, they're weak, then the whole tree is weakened. So we know the value, but you don't see the roots. They're not something you see, but you see the effect of the roots. And so thinking in our own lives, sometimes... Our rootedness in Christ, uh, people don't see how we are rooted in Christ, but they see the effects of it. They see what happens in our lives. I've often thought about people who have started strong in the Lord and have struggled or maybe even fallen at some time. How was their roots? Did they continue to be rooted in Christ? And that's what it's all about, being rooted in Christ. And so we're going to continue in Colossians chapter 1, um, in verses um, 3 through 8. Last week, we looked at the first few verses Jay did. Uh, I'll read those again just to remind us as Paul was uh, speaking to the, the church in Colossae. And he said, um, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ and Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. So he started that way. The church of Colossae, he had never met the people in Colossae, but they were dear to him. And in this passage we'll read today, we, we, we see why, why he was so thankful for them. And in verse 3 he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world uh, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. 
Just as you learn it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. Paul says, we always thank God. When we, when they, he said, when I pray for you, I thank God. I thank God. I, and I think there's a lot of people I pray for. And I say, do I begin my prayers with thanking God? And then if you look at why did he thank God? And it's interesting, he said, we thank God. And, and you know, when you, when you talk about God, you say, God bless you, I thank God. It's like it, there are multitudes of gods or ideas of God. But God, Paul got specific here. He said, we thank God, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I want to make it clear who I'm thanking. I want to make it clear. This is who I'm thanking, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then that separates him from all other gods because there's only one God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, when we pray for you, I thank God. He said, because we've, he said, since we've heard of your faith and the love that you have for all the saints, but we thank God because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. That's why we're thanking God. You have a hope in heaven. It's laid up for you. And I'm thanking God for that. But he talks about their faith, their love, and their hope. And I want to focus on those this morning and just see how those get us grounded, get us rooted in, in, in Christ. Faith, hope, and love. This is a triad of, of graces, we could say that Paul spoke about often in his letters. If you look in Romans chapter 5 and verse 2, uh, he says, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Paul mentioned faith and hope often in love. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, it's very familiar for many of us. He says, So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Faith and hope and love. If everything else passes away, those three will abide. Faith, hope, and love. Galatians 5.5. 5. He says, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. We put our faith in God and our hope of righteousness. 1 Thessalonians 1.3. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. He was speaking to the church of Thessalonia. And he said, this is what we remember. Your work of faith, your labor of love, and steadfastness of hope. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, it says, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of, breastplate of faith and love for a helmet of hope of salvation. So those three, faith, love, and hope, or faith, hope, and love, they run through Paul's messages to the church. It says, you know, faith, hope, and love, those three. And even in the book of Hebrews, even though Hebrews uh, is not sure who wrote the book of Hebrews, the author, could have been Paul, but in Hebrews 10, 22, 10, verse 22 to 24, the author there is saying, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with their hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and their bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Faith, hope, and love. So essential to us being rooted in Christ. So this morning I want to share... When we talk about rooted, we're talking about rooted in Christ as a body of believers. But we're not only rooted in Christ. When we're rooted in Christ, it leads us to be rooted 
in the church, in the fellowship of believers, and then rooted in the communities where God has planted us. And I want to share that from, these, from this passage and from these words. First, we know we are rooted in Christ through faith. That's how we're rooted in Christ. It comes through faith. He says, your faith in Christ Jesus. He says, I, since I've heard about your faith in Christ Jesus, that is, that's, you're rooted in that. And faith is mentioned 475 times in the Bible, 296 times in the New Testament. And more than half of all the New Testament references to faith are found in Paul's letters. So we think, what is faith? What, we, we, have, we can talk about faith. What is faith? A, a definition from Webster's Dictionary defines faith as a confidence or trust in a person or thing. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We have faith in things that we may not see, but we know they're sure we can hope for them. And then the theologian, as a theologian called B.B. Warfield, he says this, faith is an absolute transference of trust from ourselves to another. An absolute transference of trust from ourselves to another, a complete surrender to Christ. Faith, faith is a, a Transferring trust in ourselves and what we can do to Christ. That is how we are grounded and rooted in Christ. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is by grace, it is God's work in our lives, His grace through faith that saves us. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one can boast. You know, before... Christ came, we had the law. They were given the law. And so they put their trust in their ability to keep the law, and then they failed, as we all do. We can put our trust in ourselves to be made right with God, but we know we always fail. But God said, it is not your works, it is grace, my grace, that I allow you to know me through faith, through transferring your trust in yourself to me. Romans 3.28 says, for we hold that one is justified by faith, by the transference of trust to Christ apart from the works of the law. We know none of us will be justified by the works of the law. We know that. And then in Galatians 2, 15 and 16, it says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. So the Jews saw themselves as separate, apart. And they said, we, we are Jews by birth. We're not Gentile sinners. But he says, yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law but through faith in Jesus. Even though we were born Jews and, and God sent Jesus through our lineage, we are not justified by the works, but by faith in Jesus Christ. It says, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. None of us can be justified by our own works, by our trying to do right by God. Only by faith in Christ. It is God's grace to us to show us our sinfulness and then invite us to transfer our trust in ourselves to him. He says, this is what I offer you. And then in Colossians 2, 6 and 7, where our theme for this series is coming from, it says, therefore, you, just as you receive Christ Jesus, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving.
It says, just as, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord. How do we receive Jesus as Lord? Through faith. We received him through faith. We heard the gospel. We saw our sinfulness. We saw our need. We, put our, we transferred our faith from ourselves to him. So as it says, as you receive Christ the Lord, so walk in him. We have to continue living in faith. It is not something we begin and then look, say, okay, I got this. I can handle it. Okay, I started in faith. And that's the book of Galatians is a lot of that. Paul said, you started off in faith and now you're trying to do it on your own. That'll never work. It is through faith. So we're rooted. We, and we're rooted in Christ through faith. In salvation, we continue to be rooted in Christ through faith. But one of the problems that I've seen in my own life, and maybe you can identify, is that becoming rooted in Christ means that I, I really believe, and I, I, I'm, I'm sure of this, that life is only found in Him. Sometimes I, I start thinking, well, yeah, I have life in him, but maybe there's other sources of life for me. We believe that he is maybe one source of life, but do we believe he's the only source of life? If I don't believe that he's the only source of life, I'll start looking for life elsewhere. I'll start trusting in other things. I don't know about you, but I've seen that in my own life. So if, if we do that, we'll continue to go after other things or other people looking for life. And Jesus says, I am life. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Sometimes it seems that we want to say, we want him to say, we want to hear this from Jesus, I am a way or a truth or I am one of the ways to life. But he didn't say that. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No other. No other way. And in John chapter 6, Peter came to this realization when he was with Jesus. Jesus had been teaching his, his disciples, and his teachings became hard for people to grasp and hard for them to understand. And many of them left. In John chapter 6, verses 66 through 69, it says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I'm thinking Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You and you alone have the words of eternal life. There's no one like you. There's none. He says, and we have come to believe and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. To put our faith, to transfer our trust into Christ, we have to know he is the only one that has life for us. He said, I've, I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. He is our only source of life. I feel like if, if, if I don't grasp that, if I don't understand that, I don't believe that, then I'll start looking other places for life. And I think it's a challenge. And we will never be rooted if we don't think this is the one to be rooted in. And so I, I ask us this morning, do we believe he is our only source of life? It only comes from him. If we are to be rooted in Christ, we have to see him as our only source of life. We need to be able to say with Peter, you and you alone have the words of eternal life. If we can do that, if we can say that and put our trust in him, we will be rooted in life. 
Paul sees, as Paul was talking, it's interesting. He, we see salvation as a um, personal experience, and we do personally come to faith, but it is a corporate experience as well. And Paul is talking to the church in Colossae. When he says you, he's talking about the you plural. He says you have faith, your, your faith in Christ. So he sees salvation as something that we experience together. To enter, to enter into Christ by faith is to experience intimate fellowship with him and also with other believers. This is not a, Christianity is not a private religion of a particular believer. It is a corporate faith. Believe, every believer is baptized with other believers into Christ where we worship God together and where God's grace forms us into a community of love for one another. So we are rooted in Christ through faith. That is, so it says, he, he, was, he was saying, I've, since I've heard of your faith, this is what's rooting you in Christ. And then we, I, as, I, as I looked at it, I thought, okay, now, now we're rooted in Christ through faith and we're rooted in the church and to each other, we are rooted through love. He says, I, I've heard of your love for all the saints. Love is mentioned in the Bible 684 times, 235 times in the New Testament. And it's so important that we are rooted in love in the church. And Jesus said in John 13, 35, he says, by all this, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He didn't say you'll, he'll know you'll my, you know my disciples by the great works you do, by the great messages you preach. They'll know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The world will see that. They'll, they'll respond to that. They'll say, wow, you love each other. In, in Matthew chapter 22, verses 35 to 40, Jesus was teaching and he was uh, asked a question by one of the, te- the lawyers. It says, one of the lawyers asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law, great commandment of the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. When I'm reading that, I'm thinking, okay, I just go out, I go out, gotta go out and love God and love others. But I don't know about you, but in myself, I don't find that something I can do. You know, before I came to know the Lord, before I came to transfer my trust to him as my savior, I thought of myself as a pretty good person. You know, if I compare myself to my friends, the way my friends were living, I thought, you know, based on them and comparing them, I'm pretty much a saint. I don't do the things they do. I don't live like they do. Or at least I put on a good show so others would see me as good. And so I thought I was good. And so based on this type of thinking, I thought, when I come to Christ, he'll just make me better. I'm already pretty good. He's going to make me better. Okay. So I, I even felt like I was pretty good at loving others. You know, I, I love people, especially if they love me. I love them. It, it, it's a good. But so I thought, Jesus, when he comes into my life, he would just make my love better. The only problem was, at the center of my love was me. I was the center of my love. I loved me, and I loved those who, who loved me. Everything was centered around me. But in this passage, it says, Jesus says, love God first, and then love others. But the way I was living, I would say, well, I, I'll, I'll do that sometime. I'll, but I got to love me first, and then others from there. So I realized when I came to place my trust in him, to transfer my trust to him, he didn't make my love better. He replaced my love with his love. Because I didn't have love for God. I didn't have love for others. I had love for me. 
Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, as he's talking about restoring the nation of Israel after they were in captivity, he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from, from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. He said, I will give you a new heart. You need a, a new heart. You need a heart transplant. You don't have the ability to love as I want you to love. And then we know in 1 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He didn't redo the old. He didn't just make the old better. He, he made you new. It's a new creation. And then in Romans 5, 5, it says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love is poured into our heart. I look at that, when you pour something into a, 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 something, it just, whatever's in there, it gets just washed out. So I'm thinking he's pouring his love into my heart to continue pouring. And what I thought was love has been pushed out so it can be replaced by his love. That's the only way that I can love him is through his love. That's the only way I can love you in the body of Christ is through his love. I don't have it within me. It is not for me. Even before Connie and I were married, I was, I, I knew I, I, I wanted to, her to be my wife, but I struggled with it because I, I came before the Lord and said, Lord, I, I can't love her. I, I love myself too much. How do I love her? And I said, you know, looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 where it says, you know, you basically got to give yourself for the other person. I said, I can't do that. I, I love myself too much. And I remember the Lord saying to me, you don't have to. You just let me love her through you. Let, let me replace your love with the love that I'll give you. And so I said, I can do that. I can, let, I can have, trust you to give me your love for her because I, I know myself. I, I knew how I had treated other young ladies and it had been based on my love for me. But we're, if we're going to be rooted in the church It'll be through love. And the world will see that. They will say, wow, you love each other. You love each other. So we're rooted in Christ through faith. We're rooted in the church through love. And I think for Paul in writing this in, 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 um, in Colossians, for him, love is a transforming act. It was not a moral principle or an emphatic feeling. Love is faith in motion. In Galatians 5, 6, it says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. This is, this is what counts, faith working through love. They will see it. So that even divine love is understood by specific acts. We know God loves us because he died for us. It says in, in Romans, it says, by this Christ showed us his love. While we were still sinners, he died for us. And in the phrase where he said, the love that you have for all the saints. For all the saints, it's an unconditional love and it's an inclusive love. It's not just for some or those I, you know, there, there's some people we all know that we are more uh, drawn to. We just are more comfortable with. We, we, uh, we, we, we like certain people and we think like, but some other people we, we, we have to grow in our, our appreciation of them. But God's love goes beyond that. It says, you are to love all, and he will give us that love. It, it, God's love embraces the entire congregation. And also, the preposition for in this is important because it points in the direction of another person. God's love always points out. It doesn't point in, it points out. And that's the, for me, the, the only way I can love others is if his love is within me, and he gives me that.
So we are, we're rooted in the church through faith. We're, root, we're rooted in Christ through faith. We're rooted in the church through love. And then we're rooted in our communities. Wherever God puts us, we're rooted in our communities through hope. He says, I thank God for, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Hope is mentioned 164 times in the Bible, 76 times in the New Testament. The apostles often refer to Christian hope in the New Testament, and sometimes we start thinking about it in our, our frame of reference or our modern understanding, and we look into Scripture, and we start believing that Christian hope lacks certainty. You know, when, you, when people say, I hope this happens, or I hope this happens, it's a sense of, I don't know for sure, but I hope it happens. Like last week, I was hoping that my football team would win the national championship. It didn't happen, but I was hoping. I had a lot of hope. You know, we can hope for a lot of things. You know, I can hope, and a lot of people do this, they hope they win the lottery. I hope I win it. There's no, there's no certainty in that. But God's hope is not like that. Our hope as Christians do not refer to something that may or may not happen. It is on the certainty of God and his word. Hope in God means simply that we have a sure expectation to him to be true to his word. So he says, Paul says, I thank God because of your hope in heaven. It is a surety. You can rest in that. You don't have to guess at it or hope or, be, or, or you know, wish it would happen. It's going to happen. I think for myself, often my understanding of hope is based on what I see or what I've experienced, you know. I think, well, if I can see it, maybe I can believe it. Or if I can experience it, I can believe it. But our hope laid up for us in heaven is based on the trustworthiness of God and his word. Abraham learned this in Romans chapter 4. Let's read that together. Abraham, if you know the story, uh, he was met by God and God told him that he was going to be the father of many nations. Or he was going to, his, his people were going to be great. The only problem was when God told him this, he had no children. He was a, a, almost 100 years old. And Sarah, his wife, was way past childbearing age. So in Romans chapter 4, we read, In hope he believed against hope. Abraham. In hope he believed against hope. That he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so, so shall your offspring bring. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body which is, was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he made, gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. In hope, he believed against hope. I think in our lives as we live, when we hope in God, it's going to put us against the hope of the world. It's just going to happen because the world looks at what we see, what we've experienced, but God says, now this is who I am. Are you going to hope in me? And Abraham faced that. God, God told Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. And if he looked at what he could see, as I said, he was almost 100 years old. Sarah was past childbearing age. If he placed his hope in what he could see, what his experience, he would say, this, this is not going to happen. It is impossible. And God said, no, your hope is in me, not in what you see, what you experience. So it says he believed, and it says it was counted to him for righteousness. God said, because you, you believe, you put your hope in me, you are righteous in that. So Abraham's hope in God stood against the hope of the world around him. 
and ours will be the same. Our hope in God will stand against the world around us. Our youngest son, Sam, many of you know, uh, he, he told me recently he's realized that he can live on about half his income. He's realized, I, I, I make enough, I can live on about half of it. Then he said, that gives me a chance to give even more to others. I can be involved in, in other things. I can give, which he, which he loves to do. So he has begun to share his views and his way he uses money with his coworkers where he works, and they just shake their heads. They think, why do you do that? Why do you give away? Why don't you spend more on you? Why don't you, you can have nicer things. You can have do this and that. And as, as he talked, it was like, because my hope is not in what I see, it's in God and what God has led me to do and what God wants to do. So in him, his hope and the way he lives is standing against the hope of the world. We have friends of ours in North Carolina. He's a, a plastic surgeon doing very well. They came to visit us, and we, we, we showed them the community we live in and where we, we are. And, and God just worked in their heart, and they said, we want to do more. We want to be more involved. So they went back to North Carolina. They sold their home, their million-dollar home in the suburbs. They moved into the city where they lived. And part of the money they sold and through their church, they bought a school that was in disrepair to, to build it up, to, to invest in that community. And so they've been living there about six or so years now, investing in that community that other people had given up on. And as they share with their, he, say, he told me as I talked to him, he said, you know, I, I share this with a lot of people, what God put on our heart to do. He said, and he said, but the hardest people to share it with is the other doctors. The other doctors, I tell them that we, we've made this decision to move our family here, to invest in this community. They're like, why? Why would you? He said, we, we even sold a lake property so we could put more money here. And the other doctor's like, Why? And one of the doctors, he said, as he shared with him, the doctor just shook his head and said, well, I hope it works out for you. I hope that works out for you. But for him, it's like their hope is not in what they see or what they can accumulate. Their hope is in God and what God is doing. And I think if we're, if we're to become rooted in the community we believe God has put us in as, as a body of believers, if we're going to be rooted in, in the community in Brentwood or the area we see, our hope has to be in God and not what we see. Otherwise, I feel like if, if we, based on what we see, we may, like other people, say there's no hope and move away from it. If we, do we believe that our community, through God's grace and God's power, can improve, even flourish? If we base it on what we see, many times we'll say, that's not possible. But if we base it on what God says, and our hope in God, we can believe it. I think if I look at what I see, many times there's no reason for hope. But if I look at God, there's all the reasons. And I think, wow, if my hope is in God and his promises, I can believe that God can not only restore and redeem my community, our community, but he can use me in the process. That's pretty amazing to me because of my many times lack of faith, but he can use me if my hope is in him. But our hope, God, uh, Paul said, I give thanks because your hope is laid up in heaven. It's not in the earth, it's in heaven. And, and if we're gonna be rooted in our communities or wherever we are, it'll be because our hope is in God and not in what we see. Paul does not thank the Colossians for working up faith. 
and love within themselves. Rather, he thanks God because they have these graces, that God has given them this grace. God has given them faith, has given them love, has gifts from the Lord. And we must have that from our creator if we're to experience salvation. And we're to see that, work, that faith works through love in our salvation. And hope in God is the ground of faith and love, the source for which they spring and are sustained by the Spirit's power. And such hope is not a wish for something that may or may not happen, but the present expectation of what will surely be experienced in the fullness of the future. And knowing that we will experience the fullness of salvation in the age to come, our faith and love are sustained in the present era. So Paul prayed for the church in Colossae, and he says, I thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when I pray for you. He said, because of the hope, your faith in Christ Jesus, and the hope or the love you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. And I pray that for us as well. I pray that this will be true of us, that we will thank God because we have faith in Christ, because it is a gift from God, and that he's given us love for one another because of the hope we have in heaven, not the hope of this earth. And he goes on in, the, in this passage, and you just see, see Paul's, uh, is, is, he loves the people at Colossae, and he said, you know, we, we heard about this from Ephaphras, and the faith you have is going around the world, and it's changing people around the world. And he said, and, and Epaphras told us, and as we go through the book of Colossians, you'll see Paul's love and his, 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 his desire for the people in Colossae. But he said, I want you to know that your hope is there, that you are rooted in the hope of heaven. And it will be shown in your faith and your love for all the saints. And that's what I want for us. I want us to be rooted in Christ. And as we, as the leaders of the church, we want us to be rooted in Christ. And you'll hear more about that in the days to come. How can we be rooted in Christ and then rooted in the church and then root in our community so that we will be able to say, God is using us right where we are. Let me pray for us as I finish. Father, thank you. Thank you for this message in Colossians. Thank you for Paul's heart for the church of Colossae. Thank you that uh, he was thankful for them, that uh, they have a hope in heaven. And we all have hope in heaven. Not on this earth. The earth is not our home. It's not our hope. It is in heaven. And we who have transferred our, our trust to you, we have faith in you and we, we have life in you because of that. And you're our only source of life. And you give us love for each other and love for the world because of the hope we have in heaven. So Father, I pray we'll live that out. As your body here in this community, we'll live that out among us. And as fathers, we interact with those, they'll see. They'll see our faith, as Paul saw the faith of the Colossians, as he heard about the, their, their love. And they'll say, where, where, where does this come from? And we can say, because of the hope we have in heaven that we've heard in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So thank you, Father. And I thank you for this in Jesus' name. We're going to take uh, communion. And it's an expression of our hope when we take communion. Uh, because these are symbols of the body and, and blood of Jesus that he gave for us. We don't see him in these 
elements, but we have faith that he died for us. And our hope is there. It's not what we do. And so those of us who have experienced that, who have transferred our trust to him, who have faith, who, who know him, welcome, welcome and, 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 and join with us, participate. If you have not transferred your trust to him, if you're still working through that, we'll be at the front to pray for you, pray with you about that. If you're, if you're struggling with your, where's my hope? If you're struggling of, of trying to figure that, we're here, we wanna pray with you. But we wanna celebrate our communion with Christ, our union with him through the elements of the, of the communion. So welcome and let's celebrate together.